Take with me a copy of God's Word and turn to Romans in the chapter 16, please. Romans in the chapter 16 this morning. We're going to enter into the chapter at the verse 25. And so a short reading this morning, Romans chapter 16 and verse 25. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. And indeed, amen. As we come to consider the Word of God this morning, we are, of course, coming to the last but now statement that we find in the, in the book of Romans. We have considered already the but now of freedom, that reminder that it was that moment in our lives to which we all can relate whenever the power of God was demonstrated and we were set free from the captivity and from the bondage of our sins. We looked then at the but now of fruit, how that being made free, we are those who must produce even a fruit in our lives unto the praise and to the glory of our great God. And then last week we considered the but now of fellowship, that which we enjoy because of our freedom, that which will enable us truly to know the comfort of our freedom and the empowerment of God in that fruit-bearing life that He has called us to, that which we enjoy as we are led, guided, and filled by the Holy Spirit of God. We come to this last but now statement, and it's simply this, but now, what now? But now, what now? Now back up in the passage just a little bit there to verse 22. It tells us these words, I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, salute you in the Lord. And so here we see identified in the Word of God that as this epistle is being penned, that it's being penned at the hand of another. That Paul is, as it were, rehearsing all that is upon his heart, that which he is seeking to share with the church at Rome. And this man, Tertius, as he is responsible for penning these words. And so we come to the Word of God, and we see that he gives his salutation even there in the Word of God. I, Titus, who wrote this uh, epistle, salute you in the Lord. But then if you come to verse uh, 25, it says, Now to him. This is a completely different salutation. Many of the commentators believe that this is penned at the hand of Paul himself. He takes a record that has been transcribed over the past number of chapters, takes a pen into his own hand, and there upon the parchment, he inscribes that which truly he wishes to end this epistle with. And as you read these two verses, 25 and 26, we see it's simply a summary of all that he's been engaged in rehearsing down through the chapters already. And so as he comes to this, but now, here right at the end of this chapter, he's simply saying, well, what now? How is all that we have considered, how is all that is written here in this great epistle, how is it going to affect your life? How is it going to affect your walk? 
How is it going to affect your service for God? In the two verses, we see three things identified. So as we come to consider this, but now, what now? We want to look at each of these three things in turn. The first thing that we see identified is the power. It says, now to him that is off power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. As he's penning this salutation, as he's issuing this challenge, what are you going to do with all the truth that has been expounded and recorded in these pages? He reminds us of the power, the almighty power of God. That phrase, now to him, is a phrase commonly found in the entirety of our, of our Bibles. It's found in the Greek, but it's also found in the Hebrew. A correlating phrase that speaks exactly the same sentiment, directs our attention to exactly the same person, and communicates exactly the same truth come back to Psalm 136, and we see perhaps the greatest usage of this phrase in the Hebrew. Psalm 136, a a psalm truly that is penned with the supreme purpose of thanksgiving and praise. We know, of course, that the psalms were the, the foundation for the praise of the Hebrew people was, as it were, the hymn book for the Jew. But there are psalms that stand out, psalms that particularly stir the heart to praise, to worship, and to ascribe greatness to the God of our salvation. Psalm 136 is one such psalm. And repeatedly through this psalm, you're going to see the phrase, to Him. Now, to Him. Give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. O give thanks unto the God of gods, for His mercy endureth forever. O give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His mercy endureth forever. To Him alone doeth great things, for His mercy endureth forever. To Him that by wisdom made the heavens, for His mercy endureth forever. To him that stretched out the earth above the waters, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that made great lights, for his mercy endureth forever. The sun to rule by day, for his mercy endureth forever. The moon and stars to rule by night, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that smote Egypt and their firstborn, for his mercy endureth forever. And brought out Israel from among them, for his mercy endureth forever, with a strong hand and with a stretched out arm, for his mercy endureth forever. To him which divided the Red Sea into parts, for his mercy endureth forever, and made Israel to pass through the midst of it, for his mercy endureth forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his mercy endureth forever. To him which led his people through the wilderness, for his mercy endureth forever. To him which smote great kings, for his mercy endureth forever, and slew famous kings, for his mercy endureth forever. Zion, king of the Amorites, for his mercy endureth forever, and Og, the king of Bashan, 
for his mercy endureth forever, and give their land for an heritage, for his mercy endureth forever, even an heritage unto Israel his servant, for his mercy endureth forever, who remembered us in our low estate, for his mercy endureth forever, and hath redeemed us from our enemies, for his mercy endureth forever, who giveth food to all flesh, for his mercy endureth forever, who give thanks unto the God of heaven, for his mercy endureth forever. And here in the psalm we are reminded, as the Hebrew was sought to be reminded continually, of the great power of God. God who spoke this world into existence. Many times we can get carried away when we speak about creation and we can talk and wax in lyrical terms about the God who cast the stars out and flung them into space. But remember, he simply spoke. It was by the word of his power that all things were made. And as he looked upon them there at the end of the day, the days of creation, he looked upon that which he had created. And it was all very good. Friend, this morning, there is great power to be found in our Almighty God. And as the psalmist here continually rehearses the mercy of God that endures forever to all generations, then we too are reminded that as we look back on our account here in this earth, as we look back not only in our personal lives, but as we look back as the people of God in this church age, we can note, we can trace, and we can see very clearly the almighty power of God working in, in days and times and generations in our lives and circumstances, all to the praise and to the glory of his name. And that's the power that the Bible continually testifies of. That's the power that the Hebrew was being continually reminded of. And that's the power that Paul the Apostle, here as he pens a salutation, is seeking to remind us of to him that is off par to establish you. Remember, this is a God who grants our freedom, the God who produces our fruit, the God who is the focus and the central figure of our fellowship. Come across to Ephesians in the chapter 3. Ephesians in the chapter 3, we'll read together from the verse 1. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, God's in view. Come to verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. God is in view. And come down to the end, to the end of the chapter, the last two verses. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us 
Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Once more, God is in view. And Paul here is reminding the church at Ephesus. He's reminding the church at Rome. He's reminding you and I today that the power of God is that which works in us. The power of God is that which is available to us. The power of God is that which is promised by God to be known by us. This power, he tells us, is able to settle us, to establish us, to provide that firm foundation, that essential stability if we are to function aright in this world. That word established is a very important word. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel. Speaking to a believer, Paul writes, God's power is able to establish you. Biblically, that word means to set unmovably. Notice the path that Paul says God has the power to set us unmovably upon. The gospel. The truth. The path of truth. So consider what he's striking at this morning. He says, but now, what are you going to do with all of the truth that has been shared with you? In the past number of chapters that we've penned and we've rehearsed how God has brought together all that was essential for your soul's salvation. How being set free, you're to bear forth fruit. How being set free, you're to live lives which are yielded, ever increasingly yielded to the power of the Holy Spirit. What are you going to do with the power that is available to you? Because that power is able to establish you, to set you unmovably on the path of truth as you journey here below. So in a world where many have no purpose, where many have no meaning, where people live unsettled lives, Paul reveals God is able by His power to establish us upon the truth of the gospel and provide that everlasting stability, no matter how life unfolds. Nobody... Nobody should be more settled in their life than a Christian. But is that the testimony of Christians in our generation today? Nobody should live a life that testifies of unshakable faith, unquenchable hope, like you and I can. But is that the case of so many of our lives today? 
God desires for us to be stable, to be set unmovably upon the path of truth. Well, what's the opposite? That is, of course, that we're unstable. We're easily tossed to and fro. The winds of time can unsettle us and shift us and cause us to divert off the course that we're set upon. That we're beset by the struggles and toils of time. Rather than showing a consistent pattern of stability in our hearts and in our lives, who knows what who knows what it'll be like tomorrow? Are we up or are we down? Are we looking unto Jesus? Or are we looking everywhere else apart from the Lord? There are three areas of our life that this remains an ever-present threat in. The first of these is our prayer life. We've touched upon this already as we have studied in the Word of God, but it is essential to have a vibrant devotional life with God. I don't mean a mechanical picking up of the Bible, reading a few chapters, and setting out on our day because we've done what is required. I don't mean about coming to the services because that's what we do out of form tradition and because we want to keep up appearances. I mean being in the Word. Studying the Word. Praying over the Word. And applying the Word to our hearts and to our lives. Many times I come across believers who come to church to get blessed. And really the amount of blessing that is evident in their life or the amount of blessing to which they can testify seems always directly connected to the church service. If that's you, then you mistake what is intended in our gathering. For our gatherings are simply the outpouring of what is on the inside. And the worth of our gatherings, the worth of these times that we come together around the Word of God will be heightened or will be diminished according to our own personal walk with God. And so it's so important not only for your own life, but for those with whom you identify that you have a vibrant Christian personal devotional life, daily in the Word, setting aside that time to pray and to be before the Father. Let me ask you this morning, did you pray was there that time of prayer set aside in your life before you entered the church building today? 
And yet how easy it is to leave and to blame the preacher, to blame the one who spoke around the table, to blame the one who speaks to the boys and girls and say, just wasn't up to scratch today. But were you before the Lord? Guard your prayer life. Not only your prayer life, but guard your pride life. The entrance into your life that the devil seeks is always through pride. Pride manifests itself in many different ways in the lives of individuals as we live here on earth. There are those who desire admiration. There are those who desire reputation. There are those who desire appreciation. Are those who desire promotion. But pride, when it manifests itself, is always a destructive force. And pride is always rooted, of course, in sin. Sin of unbelief. Sin of self-belief. But sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death and destruction. And pride, if left unchecked, will destroy your own life, your family, maybe even your church family. Many times pride finds itself and manifests itself in our feelings. We love the praise of man more than the praise of God. We want for our thoughts and feelings to be taken into consideration more than what is good for the whole. Pride always serves to produce instability in your own life, your own walk, and indeed those around you. Guard your prayer life. Guard your pride life. Guard your personal life. We are living in a wicked world. World we're day and daily, we are conditioned to accept the thing which once was abnormal is now being normal. That which was unheard of just a number of years ago, that which was unthinkable generations ago, is now resplendent in the world in which we live. It has a front row seat. Many will be those who rally behind its cause. Many will be those who know what it is to wear as badges of honor the fact that they support this cause or that cause. You only have to look at the evilness and the wickedness that has crept in in recent days. And there we identify the many threats that exist in our world to our personal life. We're all consumers of media. Whether social media, whether the media on the printed page, whether the media on the internet, whether the media on our TV screens. We're all consumers of media. And being consumers of media, we are consumers of the filth and the muck of this generation. And how do we win? 
How do we ensure that we do that which is right to keep our personal lives on track? Well, the Word of God reminds us that we are overcome evil with good. Brings us back to the Word of God. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, think on these things. Here in the Word of God, we are given all that we need in order to face the battle and to stand strong in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free and to war against this world and to war against the trends of this world and to war against the schemes of this world. But we'll only know what it is to be effective in that battle if we know what it is to be in the Word of God. We know what it is to put on the whole armor of God. And the one place that we have no armor is for our back. Because the Lord never intended for us to run away. Never intended for us never to be moving any direction but forward. To be confronting with these things of time. To be in battle with that which is necessary in order to overcome. And so the instability that we face in our lives, the instability that is so often prevalent in the believer's life today comes because of a lack of a prayer life, comes because of the manifestation of a pride life, or comes because of the destruction of a personal life. We're to guard against these things. We're to ensure that we're daily in the Word of God, that we're daily in the battle, that we're daily dying to self, living unto God and doing that which is necessary in order to avail of the power that is found in Him so that we might be established in the gospel. Established in the truth. Established unmovably in the cause of Christ. And so we see the power, but we also see the mystery. What is the mystery that he speaks of? Well, there he says, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest by the Scriptures of the prophets. Speaking, of course, of the gospel the theme of which this whole book is taken up with, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Come to the first chapter of the book. Notice how this theme is developed for Paul. Romans in the chapter 1, in the first one, he says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. But come to the, uh, the 25th chapter, of the, or sorry, the 25th verse of the 16th chapter, and you'll see there, the gospel is referred to as my gospel. So this book, Paul has clearly laid out the theme of the gospel, the truths of the gospel, but he's moved in Romans chapter 1 and the verse 1 to here, Romans chapter 16 and the verse 25, from that which is abstract to now that which is personal. Paul's not hijacking the gospel. Rather, he's testifying to the personal ownership 
and responsibility of the gospel. So here in Romans chapter 16, testifying of my gospel, this gospel that he has come to treasure, this gospel that he has come to a fuller and greater knowledge of, this gospel that has changed his life, changed his course, changed his direction, changed his very motivation for service, Paul refers to it as my gospel. Why? Because it's that which he lives according to. This gospel that perhaps in Paul's day, but most certainly in our day, is taken so much for granted. Paul reminds us that this gospel was hid from the Old Testament saint. It was something which was a mystery to them. It was something which was not clearly revealed in the days in which they worshipped God. In which they in days in which they lived or sought to live set apart lives for God. It was a mystery. He speaks of it in Ephesians in the chapter three, that which a chapter we've just referred to a few moments ago, but he says here that by the revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Holy Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. And here, of course, we are reminded that that which was revealed in the Old Testament was fulfilled in Christ. It's now displayed and manifested in the New Testament church. And it was never a mystery that Gentiles would be saved, but it was a mystery to the Old Testament Jew that the Gentile who was saved would find himself numbered in amongst the family of God, termed the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. That was always a mystery to the Old Testament saint. But it's such a great revelation in this day and in this age in which Paul writes. So this word mystery, as is always used in the New Testament, is used to describe that which was not fully revealed in Old Testament times. But that which you and I are today the grateful and thankful recipients of. You see, the power... We see the mystery, but we see the commandment. Remember, this is all because of that but now. He says, but now is made manifest, this gospel, this power of God unto salvation. It's now made manifest. Here's the reason why. It should be made known to all generations for the obedience of faith. The commandment of God is to take this gospel message and to share it with those in the world around us. To take the gospel truth and to declare unto those who do not hear, cannot hear, will not hear, words whereby they might be saved. 
It's to be a part of evangelistic efforts both here and abroad. To make known unto all generations and all locations the truth of the gospel. David, as he came before Goliath, said these words, that all the earth may know. Is that the desire of your heart today? Is that the desire of mine? Is that the way that we live our lives today? We're not to be Lurgan-focused. We're not to be Northern Ireland-focused. We're to remember that there is upon us this generation an obligation to be involved in the worldwide ministry of the truth. Now you might say, well, how could I be involved? Well, we all can't go, and I understand that. But perhaps there is someone who needs to go. Perhaps there's someone here this morning, and God has in times past put his finger on your life and stirred your heart and made clear to you that he had a purpose and he had a plan. Maybe the call of home, the call of family, the call of time has just been too strong, and up till now you have not responded nor heeded nor followed that call. Will you obey his command today? Will you go into all the world and preach the gospel? Well, what about your prayer life as you come before the Lord and as you pray for those things that are revealed in His Word that you should pray for? Do you pray for those who serve in the mission field? Do you regularly engage in prayer for those who go, who leave all behind? What about giving? 85% of missions giving in the UK is given by people who are 65 and over. Young people, young families, you need to be a part of giving to the work of missions. I understand that budgets are tight and the needs are many. But next Sunday, there's an opportunity for every family in this church to play a part in the missionary work of this church. And the widow's mite is just as important as the rich man's lot. And I encourage you to give. Give on to the work of missions. Because there's coming a day whenever the younger generation whenever the 30s, the 40s, and the 50s have to get under that load of mission giving, our missions will cease. Missionaries won't be able to go. The gospel won't be able to be spread. I encourage you, do your part for world evangelism. Do your part for making known to all generations the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we know the power. We've had to us reveal the mystery. We've been reminded of the command. 
But now, what now? How is that fact, that truth, that never-changing reality of your salvation, how is it going to impact upon your walk, your talk, and your service? May God bless his word to all of our hearts today. Father, we pray for thy blessing upon the preaching of thy word. We pray that thou would enable us all to avail of that power to truly establish our lives. Help us to guard our prayer life, our pride life, our personal life. Help us to be those who are unmovable in the work of the Lord. Help us, Lord, always to rejoice in the mystery. The mystery that now is revealed. The mystery that now we are glad partakers of. Help us, O Lord, to obey the command. To be involved in some way in the work of spreading the gospel to all the nations that all the earth may know. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, for a closer walk with God, a calm and heavenly frame, a light that shines upon the road that leads me to the Lamb. If you're not remaining with us for the table after the first verse, please feel free to leave us at that point. But for those who are tarrying, let's sing this hymn together and then we'll meet together around the time of, or the table of remembrance, please. Thank you.